0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning on this cold winter morning. Uh, I asked a question this week on Facebook to, to all of you and some of you responded, but asked "Do you like warm and sunny, excuse me, no warm and cloudy, or cold and sunny. Well, all of those of you who said cold and sunny, you got it, okay? <laughs> here it is today. Uh, it is good to see here, to, to be able to worship with you guys, and a privilege to open God's Word to you. Well, my computer's been acting a little strange lately. Does anybody here besides me get a little nervous when your computer starts acting strange, you know? Yeah? And then all of a sudden it, it, it did, it was doing something and, and, and it was moving on all of a sudden the computer kind of did this, this, this and just stopped. Everything's still on the screen and, and nothing I do. I try all these key commands, mouse, and I can't get it to, to start working again. And I, so I wait a while, think maybe it'll clear up. It doesn't clear up and, and so I did what you're supposed to do but which is a scary thing to do. I reached over and pushed the power button down and held it until it went blink gone. I mean, typically they tell you not to just do that, right? You're supposed to use the commands to shut your computer down or use a restart because if you stop at the wrong place, it could wreck your computer, okay? You could lose your information, what, you know, all sorts of bad things can happen. But I didn't have any choice. So I got to make this hard restart. And so I pushed the button and it went black and then I waited about 10 seconds and then I pushed the button again. And something flickers and... And I heard the noise that it makes when it starts up, and then I'm encouraged, but then I, I slowly start to deflate again because I watch this little thing in the middle of the screen, spin and spin and spin, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. About the time I gave up, all of a sudden I went, bing, 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 open, running, fine ever since, Whew. right? But I had to do that hard restart. There was no way around it. If I just left it the way it was, it was a mess. And uh, so this idea of a a hard restart or reset uh, on things, it's not unusual for for mechanical things to have reset buttons, especially electronic kind of things to have reset buttons. Now, I'm going to reveal my age here and find out yours. How many of you remember when there was a reset button on your TV? No, oh, you do? Yeah, good, one of you, at least one of you. I, yeah, there was a reset, because how the TV used to work and all this that, uh, you know, it had this gun shooting up and down, all this kind of stuff, and it would get out of whack sometimes. You would press a reset button and the screen would go, uh, and then reset. Um, I must be 100 years old or something. I, uh, no, color TV too, but anyway, they don't do that anymore. But the idea is a reset button, very, very handy, right? Because when something gets messed up, if you can push a reset button. I mean, we have reset buttons on the oil burners here, right? And we've had to use those a few times. So it's really, really good to have a reset button. It sets everything back to normal the way it's supposed to be so everything can work. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have a reset button for life? You know? Things go wrong. You make some bad choices. Life starts to get crazy and stressful, and, and, and it doesn't look like it's getting better. If you could just do what, push a, re- wouldn't that be nice? It's kind of reminding me of the staples that had the easy button. Add, you know, you push the button. And well, there is a way to reset your life. It's not a magic button, though. Okay, not a magic button. Uh, But it involves this, it it involves making a conscious decision about something. I'm making this conscious decision about some truth and then making some changes going forward. And you can reset your life. Doesn't mean everything goes back to the way it was before, but it it can mean that now you can deal with what's going on there and things can get better rather than worse. Uh, And that shouldn't surprise us, the idea that we have to make some changes, because haven't we all said at some point in time or another, you know, wow, if I had that to do over again, I would do things differently, right? So that's that's normal. So this idea, there is a reset of of, of being confronted with the truth and really seeing the truth that matters here, making a conscious decision about it, and then beginning to live out that truth going forward. And we can kind of reset and maybe change the direction of our our lives again. So what we're gonna do uh, for the next few weeks is is look to the book of Philippians for some of these things that can enable us to reset our lives. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. If you're using the Bible that's in the chairs there, and we'd encourage you to to use the Bible if you don't have one with you. We're gonna start on page 1348. Now, uh, the book of Philippians is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to the um, church that is in Philippi, to all of the believers there, to all of its leaders. And so Paul writes this letter to them. Overall, it's a very positive letter, uh, although he does do, deal with some really, really important issues along the way. So um, let's begin reading. Philippians chapter 1. We'll start in verse number 19. Actually, before I read it, let me share this a little bit more. As the Apostle Paul writes this letter, he's sitting in a jail cell. And the reality is, is he doesn't know what's going to be the outcome here. He's on trial, and he doesn't know if he's going to be set free or if he is going to be put to death, okay? Either one is a very real possibility. Now, he ends up having some opinions about that, but his every, both options are a real possibility for him. And so if you want to know the end of the story, he does get out at this point. But he doesn't know that as he writes these words. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is important for you to understand. Paul is sitting in a jail cell, not knowing if he's going to live or die. And what matters most to him is not whether he's going to live or die. What matters most to him is that he honors his Savior. He says that Christ would be magnified in me. The the idea that he would be seen in me and really in a bigger way, a better way, a clearer way, magnified way. And that was more important to him than whether he lived or died. He said, if I'm going to live, I want to magnify Christ. And if I die, I want to die in a way that magnifies Christ. And then he continues and gives a little more Elaboration on where he's at with this. Verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I live, my life is about Christ. My life is from Christ, it's about Christ, it's for Christ. From when I get up in the morning till I go to bed at night, my life is about Christ. And if, if my life comes to an end, man, because my life has been about Christ, when I die, it only gets better. That's cool to think, isn't it? If your life is only, all about Christ, man, that prepares you for the dying. And, and I think of this, uh, how many of you like cake without icing? Some of you say, no, no, I do. I'm with you, Dave, man. Good cake, my wife makes cakes. By the way, cake is, is not on my list of things to eat these days but I remember it well <laughs> cake right it's good it's warm and, and Amanda you know this right so the mom would have cake sitting around you we could eat it you know, and it was all oh, was good and then she would put icing on it she has a special icing that she makes and puts on it and makes it all even better it's the icing on the cake right well This is sort of like what Paul's saying, look, to live is Christ, to live is the cake. It's it's amazing, it's awesome. My life is about Christ and dying is the icing on the cake because I go to be with the Lord and and reap all the benefits of having had my life be about Christ, okay? All right, let's go over to chapter two. Here uh, Paul is talking about Jesus, talking about his example, how he humbles himself and and comes down to earth and dies for us. And and he tells us what God the Father's response is to this. Let's start in verse 9 of chapter 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, and what's the next word? Lord. Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And so, because of who Jesus is and the role that he's supposed to have in our life, the Father says everybody is going to confess that he's Lord. Everybody's going to agree and say, yes, Jesus is indeed Lord. uh, God's desire is that that would happen in this lifetime, right? Is that people would come to this realization in this life and say, Jesus is Lord. But the fact of the matter is, is, even if they don't, if they don't come to that realization in this life and they find themselves condemned and in hell, at that point, they will confess and agree what? Jesus is Lord. Uh, and it's sad, we don't want to see it that way. But one way or another, every human being will come to the point where they yield themselves to God and say, yes, Jesus is Lord. And then finally, let's go toward the end of the chapter 2. Uh, the Philippians had sent one of their pastors, maybe their lead pastor, maybe not, but one of their pastors, a man named Epaphroditus, they had sent him from Philippi with offering money that they had collected for Paul. And because and, uh, they hadn't been able to connect with him and get the money, so they actually take one of their pastors and send him to where Paul is. And his name's Epaphroditus. Now, while he's there, he brings the money and he's working with Paul and helping Paul. He gets very, very sick. Sick to the point where they thought he was going to die. Now, he didn't end up dying. But what happened is news of that had got back to Philippi. That Epaphroditus is is sick and may die. And they'd been all worried about that. So Paul is telling them in this letter. By the way, Epaphroditus probably delivers this letter to them. And say, hey, yeah, let me tell you what happened there. And then we see he says this, verse 9. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord. With all gladness. He says, Stop it. So in other words, he sent Epaphroditus back this letter and he's saying, Hey, welcome him back. And then he says this, and hold such men in esteem. Let me tell you, your pastor, Epaphroditus, man, you guys need to honor him. You need to look up to this man. He he is a a highly respectable man. And then he says, Why? Verse thirty, because For the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. And so he says, for Epaphroditus, it's much like what Paul was saying over here, for Epaphroditus, the issue is not whether I survive or not, the issue is whether I have done what Christ has given me to do. I have come to serve Christ, and if it costs me my life, it costs me my life. Now, you know, sometimes it's easy to talk about that costing my life, but how about, would it be harder for you to say, I'm going to serve Christ even if it costs me my job? I'm going to serve Christ even if it costs me my relationships with my family? Really, when we say, even if it costs me my life, it ought to be the biggest. But whatever is the biggest for you, what I want you to understand is that Uh, Epaphroditus said, serving Christ, that's what matters to me. And we know this, he says, because Paul said, not regarding his life. Apparently, there might have been some choices Epaphroditus could have made, you know, that would have not brought him to that point. You know, maybe he was really sick, but he was still helping. He was still serving. They're saying, Epaphroditus, you, you need to slow down. You need to. And he's saying, no, no, what we're doing right now is so I have to be here for this. And it really, you know, set him back physically. We don't know specifics. But it was very clear, isn't it, that something was more important to Epaphroditus than anything else in life? And that was what? What does it say? The work of Christ. Serving the Lord. So where's the reset here? Where's this hard restart or a reset of some kind in life? I mean, is it sort of like, ah, yeah, we want to try to follow maybe Paul's example in Epaphroditus and make sure that, you know, Jesus is Lord and we acknowledge that in our lives. Well, yeah, that's sort of part of it. But really, we haven't read the reset yet. And um, just a minute, we'll read it. But I want to give you a little warning. The reset that we're going to look at is very much a hard restart. Um, It's not an easy thing. It it goes against how we naturally feel. It goes against really how a lot of us as Christians approach our life as Christians. It goes against that. Uh, It's very much against the grain of what comes natural. Um, But it really matters. It really, really matters. If you want your life to be able to get on track, you know, hit the reset and get on track, you have to go through this verse. You really do. Um, And so I'm asking you to, I'm going to ask you a little bit to trust me for a little bit. And trust me in this sense, to at least be open. Be open-minded about this, okay? When you hear it, don't go, wow. no, no, be open-minded and ask the Lord to show you the truth. And um, the goal would be then that you start with an open mind, and hopefully it leads to an open heart before the Lord here, okay? Now, when I started to uh, think about preaching Philippians and began talking to God because I'm looking at other things and considering other things, and Philippians just kind of kept coming back to mind and heart, and so... Uh, Eventually, at some point, I I mean, I know Philippians fairly well. I think through it. I know the passages. I'm thinking how this would work, what we might preach on about it. and Then you finally reach the point where I I need to sit down and read through it again. I need to look at it carefully again. And so here's what I did. I, I started. Verse number one. It says, Paul, chapter one, verse one. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And I just stopped there and sat back because that is a really wow statement, and it is it is the reset. Let me tell you how it says: Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Now you hear bond servants, and I don't know what you think of servant, an indentured servant, someone who works for somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oftentimes this word is just translated servant in our Bible. Uh, in our modern English Bibles as they try to kind of capture uh, what they think the point is. But here's the reality. The word that's translated bond-servant here, um, Greek word doulos, and what it means is slave. Slave. And a slave is a bond And a slave is a servant. But a slave is a slave. Um, and so I'm going to use that word today, slave, uh, because it's a harder word, isn't it? It's kind of an in your face word. Carries different ideas and connotations to different people. But so he says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, slaves of Jesus. This is the reset that has to happen. And this then starts to make sense of this and this and this. It makes all of that make sense. So what is a slave? By definition, a slave is a person who is the legal property of another and whose life is lived under his owner's authority. In other words, you belong to somebody. A slave belongs to somebody and their life is lived under that person's authority. This person has the authority to tell them what to do, what not to do, when, how, where, okay? That's what a slave is. Consider what the scripture says about our relationship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that you are not your own, for you were, what? Bought at a price. The Lord Jesus Christ died buying you. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 talks about the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Who is the church? What is the church? It's it's me, it's you, and us together, isn't it? He did what? He purchased us. In Ephesians chapter 1, talking about God's people, he describes them as the purchased possession. So we have the first part of the definition of a slave, don't we? Okay, we do. And then we read over here, that at at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Lord. Well, let's talk about this word Lord just a minute and what it, it means. The definition of Lord is the one who is supreme in authority by implication, master. Master and slave. That's the way... This is a fundamental, foundational understanding of our lives as Christians. If if I am a Christian, if you are a Christian, every person who receives Christ as Savior, we can say you receive Christ as Savior, you put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, you've been born again, you've been converted, you've yielded yourself to follow Christ, however you want to say it, every person who is really a Christian is a slave of Jesus. You are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you may not always live like that, but you are, he owns you, and he is the only one who has authority to command in your life. That's a hard concept, isn't it? The hard reset, and not hard in the sense of, oh, I understand it, yeah, I I, I mean, I know what the words mean. It's hard to think, okay, I am a slave. You are a slave. Um, So let me take just a little bit here and address the issue of slavery for a moment because that, you know, I don't know how that hits you and you think about things. But um, slavery, sadly, very sadly, has been a part of human existence since almost the beginning. It didn't take long at all toward people actually started to enslave other people. Uh, The Bible references slavery. It's, It's something that exists. It's there. It it tries to regulate it some to keep it from being a terribly bad thing. But what's interesting is that after Christ came and there's this new understanding of who we are and what God wants to do, that started to change. Because even in the New Testament, we see Paul here writing. He, He talks about that the servant, the slave, is has equal standing before God that the master does. Before God, they are equal. They both have to come to God the same way. They both are to yield to God the same way. They are equal before God. And and so Christians start thinking, well, wait a minute. If we're equal before God, how can one of us own another one of us? And they began to determine that slavery wasn't right. Within the first few hundred years of Christianity, uh, some of the Christian leaders and teachers began to say, slavery is unacceptable. Slavery does not fit what we believe. And so this this grows, and it has its ups and downs over the years. But it was really the the Christian, Bible-believing Christian mindset that drove the to outlaw and get rid of slavery in Europe and in in England and eventually in the United States. And yes, this is all intermixed with political stuff and economic stuff and all that, but it was the Christians who were driving this. The slavery is unacceptable. Slavery is not right. Uh, Other major religions still have not arrived at that conclusion. Islam still holds that slavery is acceptable in certain situations especially if you're dealing with someone who doesn't believe uh, hinduism which would i think try to hold itself out as it's very you know egalitarian equal um, but they have certain situations where enslaving people is okay but not christianity now That doesn't mean there aren't some Christians who might, but I'm talking about biblical Christianity has reached the right conclusion that slavery is unacceptable. One person cannot own another person. And it's a bad thing. And the experience of probably the majority of the slaves in the United States was bad. Really bad, besides just being owned. was really bad. And so the question that comes now, we've got to do this. So, well, if slavery is bad, if it's an unacceptable thing, why would I want to be a slave? Why would we want to do that, you know? Is there some way to live this Christian life and not be the slave? You don't have to live like a slave. You don't have to work. I can do that. But well, no, the scripture is really clear. We're slaves of Jesus. Why would we want that? Well, there's two, two parts to the answer to that question, why we would want to be a slave of Jesus. And, and the first one is this, that everyone, is a slave to someone or something. Everyone is a slave to someone or something. You serve somebody in your life. You serve something in your life. You might be serving yourself. You set yourself up as your master. I'm going to call the shots for me, and I'm going to And you, you live that out. It could be that you're, somebody else is running your life, right? You, you're, you're serving them and trying to keep them happy. Uh, It could be it's possessions or a job or prestige or whatever it is that's driving you and you're serving those things. Everybody is serving someone or something. Let's look see what the word says about this in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, page 1299 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about what happened to us when we received Christ, and the life that we have, and the freedom from sin, and all this kind of stuff, but so, let's start in verse number 16. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now, let me say to you that When I received Christ as Savior, I became a slave of Jesus. When you received Christ as Savior, you became a slave of Jesus. Have you always lived like a good slave, a faithful slave? No. In fact, that's the reality is that there are times and places when you live like somebody or something else is your master. Okay, but we ought to be living as though Christ is our master and be faithful to him. And this is what he's saying here. Whoever you're presenting yourself to, to obey, to serve, that person is effectively your master. Well, but the reality is Jesus is your master. And this isn't good. It isn't right. Let's continue. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, for you received Christ, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of Righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, he says, because it's hard for you to understand. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So here's the deal. I have become a slave of Jesus. And he says, when you were slaves of sin, what'd you do? You presented yourself to sin and you did it. He says, now instead... Now that you're a slave of Jesus, present yourself to him. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And then he asks a really important question. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He says, when you were serving other masters before you came to Christ, guess where that was leading? Toward death. Physical death, eternal death, if you don't know Christ, as Savior. And all the stuff that goes along with death. Death is a pretty messed up thing, isn't it? There's a lot of corruption and problems and junk related to death. And he says that's what you were receiving. When you were serving anything other than Jesus, guess what you're getting? Ugly. I didn't mean your face when I said that. You're getting the ugliness that goes with that. And this is verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end result here, everlasting life and all that goes with that. And so here's what I want you to see. When we think about slaves that were in the United States, there were slaves who, still slaves, but who were very, very well treated almost sometimes like members of the household. I mean, uh, a, a lot of freedom, But nonetheless, they were slaves. But then, probably the majority of slaves had a, a very different experience, right? A very harsh experience. All the negative things that we tend to connect with slavery. Well, what was the, why was their experience different? Because who their master was. And, and so I want you to see something that whenever we choose to serve some other master besides Jesus, we are bringing hurt into our lives. We are bringing difficulty into our lives. We are bringing mess into our lives. We're bringing spiritual infection into our lives. We are bringing uh, problems into our lives, and eventually bigger and bigger problems. And you, you might say, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of myself here. You, you fooled yourself. You deceive yourself if you think that there's anybody or anything else that could ever be a better master than Jesus? And that's the second part of this answer to this question. Why would you want to be a slave of Jesus? Well, first of all, you're going to be a slave of somebody. Secondly, who in the world would be a better master to serve than Jesus? Everything else is going to take you in a bad direction. Only Jesus will take you in the good and right direction. Hasn't he already proven that he's loved, that he loves you? What more does he do need to do to prove to us that he loves us? And he loves us and he says, serve me, I will provide for you. Serve me, I will protect you. And when I say protect you, I mean the Apostle Paul thinks he might die. But he says, I'm not going to die unless God says it's time. And he protects us. I'll, I'll give you good direction and wisdom. I will bless you. And the amazing thing to me is that My experience tells me and the word tells me and other people's experience tells me that it is it's when we finally say okay yes I am a slave of Jesus and we yield ourselves to that that all of a sudden for the first time in life we really feel free. How does that work? All I can say is we are free from all the stuff that worked against us. And this is a sense of freedom that this is Nothing better than following Christ as my master. And so that is why we would choose to be a slave of Jesus. But it is a hard restart, okay? Just because of the nature of of what it sounds like to us. Um, And so we're talking about making this conscious decision. Remember, that's what I said in the beginning, to reset. We make this conscious decision. okay. I get it. I understand. I am a slave of Jesus. Jesus is my master. And I need to live that out. But that's hard for us. It kind of flows against the way a lot of us look at Christianity. John Piper addressed this issue when he said this. He says, coming to Christ doesn't make God your slave. It makes you his slave. But I tell you what. It's real easy for us to fall into the trap of treating God like he's our servant. Don't it? What's God's role in my life? Well, his role in my life is to take care of me. What's his role in my life? His role in my life is to to make me happy. His role in my life is to not let these bad things happen to me. His role in life, and, and we think what? We've signed God up to be our slave. But no, 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 we've got to step back from that. We've got to push this hard restart and say, no, 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 God is not my slave. I am his slave. So what does it mean, then, to be a faithful slave of Christ? Well, what is a a faithful slave? His overarching concern, his primary purpose, his, his main goal in life is what? To do what his master says. To, to live his life and do the things the master says the way the master wants it done. It's to get to know the master and understand his will and, and his desires and what pleases him and what doesn't. And, and patterning our lives that way. That's, that's the way a faithful slave lives. And isn't this what Paul, in essence, was saying there? Look back in Philippians 1. In verse 21, what does he say? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My life is about Christ. My life today is about Christ. I'm his his slave. He's my master. And so this day I want to do what he's given me to do. I want to do it the way he says to do it. I want to please him. I want to fulfill his desires. My life is Christ. You know, there ought to be nothing in our lives that isn't somehow connected with Christ. Now, let me say, does this mean that you can't have anything you like on your own? Does this mean you can't have a hobby, you can't be interested? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But for a faithful slave can have those things, but here's the deal. They are subservient to what the Lord wants. And if I'm wanting something that consistently keeps getting in the way of what the, you know, being a faithful slave of Christ would mean, i got to let it go. It's got to go. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And far too often we get this backwards. We, we live like to live is gain and to die is Christ. In other words, oh yeah, we got Christ connected to the death part. Because when I die, I, want, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, right? So I've got Christ. I receive Christ as my Savior. To die is Christ. Yeah, he's taking care of that. But to live is gain. This is for me. This is what I can get. What I can do. What I want. That's, by the way, that's, that's serving a different master and it's going to lead to destruction. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And then over in Philippians chapter, same chapter, chapter 2 and verse 30, when it's living like Epaphroditus is, not regarding his life. It's, what happens to me doesn't matter if I'm serving Christ. Well, oh, that sounds like a bad thing to say about yourself. No, I don't mean I'm not valuable. Huh. Jesus already proved them valuable, didn't he? He died for me. <laughs> no, what I mean is whatever happens in my life, that doesn't matter because long and short of it, this life is going to be like this, gone. I want to be faithful in this life, so I'm not going to regard all this stuff. doesn't matter. I want to be faithful to Christ, do the work of Christ, do the work of Christ. I want to live now. What God is going to require everyone eventually to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is master of my life. Right now. Today. Now, let me encourage you that, I already did a little bit, when you become a slave, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like being a slave. So when you're standing outside of it looking at it that you think, of A slave? But once you actually yield to God in that, it's not like slavery anymore. It's like privilege. And it's hard to see if you're on the outside of that. You've got to get on the inside of it to really experience it. But let me, there's, let me read something to you here. It'll be on the screen up here. Just I try to describe what this is like in our lives when we push this reset, which is really a pretty hard restart. Jesus is Lord, and I am his slave. I belong to him, and he is my master, yet I serve him willingly, out of love, not out of compulsion. You see what changes when you get on the inside why you're serving? Do I serve because I have to, or I serve because I want to? And so let me continue with that statement. Not because I have to, but because of who he is, what he's done what he's doing, and what he's going to do in my life and in my eternity. I serve Christ. And what a privileged place it is. There used to be a song that years ago I sang. um, Down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. The slave of Christ is the highest position you could ever hold in this whole world. No more privileged position. And as we get ready to stop here, let me just say to you that I, every regret I have in life, and I have some regrets, every regret I have in my life can be traced back to not being a faithful slave to Jesus. Jesus. When I serve somebody else or something else. Every regret. And I try to think, I try to think through my life this, and when I made big decisions to be the slave and to serve him. You know, I can't come up with one time I made that decision and ever regretted it. I've never regretted it. Well, if our lives are going to be what we want them to be and what the Lord intends for them to be, we have to do this hard restart and we have to say. Okay, I am Jesus' slave. We have to. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes here for a little bit. What I want to do is give you an opportunity to, maybe for the first time consciously, to... Make this hard restart. I'm, wait a minute, I'm, I'm resetting things here. I, I am a slave of Jesus. Maybe it's the first time you've sure. ever done that. It. Maybe it's not. Maybe you, you, you know, you've known this before, but you kind of slipped away from it, and you need to reaffirm this in your life. Maybe you're already there. It doesn't matter. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to pray along with me. And I'm going to stretch you just a little bit. If you can bring yourself to, I want you to pray out loud with me. Uh, don't pray loud (laughs) quietly yourself is fine but pray out loud use your voice follow along and repeat after me say Jesus I am your slave and you are my master you are Lord of my life my life belongs to you And my life is to be lived for you. And that's what I want to do. I need you to help me when I go astray. Call me back again to being a faithful slave. I want to honor you as my master. There's lots of things I don't understand about this. But I'm going to trust you to help me. Amen. So that's your conscious decision. Conscious decision, and then you go out from here today, today and tomorrow and the next day, trying to remember and trying to think, well, wait a minute, what? I'm Jesus is my master. So how do I do this today? How do I, in this situation, What choices do I make? And go out and live like a faithful slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll change your life. You will have effectively pushed a reset button. that will make a huge difference for you. Now, we have a young lady in our church who has wrestled with this issue. Uh, just like we have. And she's reached that point in her life where she said, you know, I am the Lord's slave. I want to do whatever he wants me to do. And and she says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And and began seeking him to do that. And, and the Lord led her to go serve him as a missionary for the next two years in the country of Spain. And, of course, that's Amber, Amber Graham. And I'm going to uh, have us pray for her here today, okay, and encourage her in that. So, Amber, why don't you come on up? And I'm actually going to have Pastor Dave pray for her. Um, and I, I'm going to give you another opportunity maybe to get out of your comfort zone just a little bit. I'm going to uh, ask you if, you, if you feel like you can, to join us up here. Okay? Uh, Pastor Dave and I will have our hands on her. And if you want to come up, put your hand on our shoulders and just let's make a connection. Okay? If you can, don't do something that you can't do. But if you can, come on up. All right? Right now. And then we'll take some time and pray for her. And I would also ask that as we pray, as Pastor Dave prays, if you hear something that really resonates in your heart and soul, feel free to say amen or yes, Lord, or thank you, or whatever. But let's pray together as Pastor Dave speaks our prayers regarding this. Um, so I hope nobody's too weirded out by this. Just We want to be connected and together pray for Amber. We're sending her out, okay? She's okay. She's grown up here. Yeah, she actually leaves this afternoon. Not for Spain, but for the training to go. All right, so, Pastor Dave, would you lead us in prayer?
1: Absolutely. Father God, we come before you this morning and we lift Amber to you, thankful for all that you've done in her life and all that you're doing in her life, and bringing her to this point to step out in faith and to follow you on this incredible mission, this incredible journey to Spain. Uh, Lord, we've been excited to see how you've raised the funds that she's required, how you've brought them in in very unique and creative ways. You've provided everything she needs, and we praise you for that, we thank you for that. We also have seen how you've refined her, how you've increased her patience, her reliance upon you, and prepared her for the journey you have. And we do ask, Lord, that as we commission her and send her out, that you would go before her prepare the hearts of the people. Uh, You know every single person she's going to interact with. And Lord, we pray that she will be your hands, she will be your feet, she will provide that message of the gospel to those that she comes in contact with. I ask, Lord, that they see Christ in her in a vibrant and obvious way. They see the difference and then hunger for it. And Lord, we ask that um, Amber will continue to keep her eyes fixed on you as she encounters other challenges, as she encounters joy, and uh, things that are gonna get her so excited and so high, but also in those things that are gonna challenge her heart and that are gonna challenge her understanding. Um, Enable her to keep her eyes fixed on you and to trust you in all the things and all the circumstances she comes into. We also pray, Lord, for the finalized details for her trip and things that are still a little undone. We're going to trust you to bring those in at exactly the right time and exactly when she needs them. We also pray for her safety. Mm. Lord, bring her there and back safely. And Lord, that um, surround her with good people, Lord, that will encourage her, that will sharpen her, and uh, that will uh, be lifelong friends as well. Lord, we are so grateful that you've chosen someone from our midst yes. to go and to serve and uh, to do this ministry. And uh, we are so excited to see all that you're going to do. And we can't wait to hear all that you're going to do in and through Amber's life. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we are putting her in your hands completely. Yes. And it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, thank you. If you keep her in prayer, we appreciate one particular thing. Pray that her visa comes in. The Spanish consulate still hasn't made that happen yet. So pray it gets to the right person who says, oh, I'll do that, okay? And so that happens for her. Thank you. God bless you. You guys are dismissed. Feel free to say bye to Amber here.